0: Welcome to Watch It Baptist Church Online. My name's Mike, I'm the pastor at Watch It Baptist Church. You're joining us at the start of a short new series at the beginning of Advent, and we're looking at four, five characters in this series uh, from Matthew chapter one. So, one of the defining things about Matthew chapter one is that it's a genealogy, that is to say, it's like a family line, family tree, and this one is the family tree of Jesus. We're going to be looking at five women who appear in that family tree. We'll get cracking with that in a moment. We'll start by reading uh, from Matthew 1, uh, but we're going to pray before we do that. So let's pray first. Father, when you speak, we want to hear you. When you speak, we want to make room to be challenged and changed. When you speak, we want to hear what your heart is and we ask for those things now. Amen. Okay, so we're reading from uh, Matthew 1, but also from Genesis 38. It'll be a slightly longer reading than sometimes we have, so let's get cracking. Matthew chapter 1, verses one to three. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram. I'm going to jump now to Genesis 38, which says this. At that time, Judah left his brothers and went down to stay with a man of Adalim named Hirah. There Judah met a daughter of a Canaanite man named Shuah. He married her and made love to her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son who was named Ur. She conceived again and gave birth to a son and named him Onan. She gave birth to still another son and named him Shelah. It was at Kezib that she gave birth to him. Judah got a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, sleep with your brother's wife and fulfil your duty to her as a brother-in-law to raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew the child would not be his, so whenever he slept with his brother's wife, he spilled his semen on the ground to avoid providing offspring for his brother. What he did was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death also. Judah then said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, live as a widow in your father's household until my son Shelah grows up. But he thought... He may die too, just like his brothers. So Tamar went to live in her father's household. After a long time, Judah's wife, the Sauter of Shua, died. When Judah had recovered from his grief, he went up to Timnah to the men who were shearing his sheep, and his friend Hera the Adalamite went with him. When Tamar was told your father-in-law is on his way to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's clothes, covered herself with a veil to disguise herself, and sat down at the entrance to Enaim which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that, though Shella had, no, had now grown up, she had not been given to him as his wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. Not realising that she was his daughter-in-law, he went over to her by the roadside and said, Come now, let me sleep with you. And what will you give me to sleep with you, she asked. I'll send you a young goat from my flock, he said. Will you give me something as a pledge until you send it, she asked. He said, what pledge should I give you? Your seal and its cord and the staff in your hand, she answered. So he gave them to her and slept with her and she became pregnant by him. And after she left, she took off her veil and put on her widow's clothes again. Meanwhile, Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the uh, Adalamite, in order to get his pledge back from the woman, but he did not find her. He asked the men who lived there, "'Where is the shrine prostitute who was beside the road at There "'Hasn't been any shrine prostitute here,' they said. Then Judah said, "'Let her keep what she has or we will become a laughingstock. After all, I did send her this young goat, but you didn't find her.'" About three months later, Judah was told, "'Your daughter-in-law, Tamar, is guilty of prostitution, and as a result she is now pregnant.'" Judah said, "'Bring her out and let her be burned to death.'" As she was being brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law, I am present by the man who owns these, she said. And she added, see if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her to my son Shelah. And he did not sleep with her again. This story isn't the easiest story to hear. Actually, when you read it in Genesis, it's in a bit of a sandwich. So the whole of um, Joseph's story he with the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat and the 11 brothers he is uh, it's his story that surrounds this and they have this little sort of break out in chapter 38 interestingly the next chapter chapter 39 tells us of how Joseph behaved when put in a situation where he might have been um, sexually inappropriate with somebody else's wife and he is very honourable This story shows us that Judah was less honourable, and in more than one way. It also, importantly, tells us something about Tamar. And it's an understanding what it tells us about Tamar that we can come to go our heads around why it's so important for Matthew to include her in his genealogy, in his list of Jesus' descendants. It was typical, normal, normal to write lists of lineage, whose father was who, whose father was who, and so on. And it was always father to father to father, but in Matthew's account, it makes a point of bringing forward five women. This won't be an accident. Matthew will have a good reason for wanting us to pay attention to these five women. I'll give you a quick spoiler alert and say the fifth one is Mary, who becomes mother of Jesus. But he has things to tell us that set up his gospel account. And particularly that point us towards the kind of people that Jesus is wanting to meet. The kind of people that the message of good news is for. The kind of people who tell us how Jesus is going to operate as he shares that good news of the kingdom of God. So what can we learn about Tamar? from her experience. Well, first of all, although it doesn't actually say this explicitly, we can reasonably understand that she was an outsider. You see, Judah was the son of Jacob. And Jacob's um, family, his 12 sons by four different women, would come to be descendants of an entire nation. The people of Israel are named after Jacob because God gave him a new name be called Israel, he said. Jacob is a name that has uh, perhaps less um, noble meaning, and Jacob's antics as a a man growing up weren't always honourable either, so a new name is perhaps appropriate. Israel. There are 12 tribes of Israel, not all of them are named after the immediate sons. Levi doesn't become uh, a, a tribe with land. Uh, and Joseph doesn't have a tribe named after him either. Well, there are these 12 tribes, and they come from this descendant. So as you can then understand, anybody who isn't part of that family is outside the people of Israel, even at this early stage. And the chapter begins by telling us that Judah goes away from where his brothers are to look for a wife, and he finds one in Canaan. Somewhere among the native people, he finds a wife and he has three sons. Unfortunately, uh, in that context, Judah isn't yet able to find other children of Israel to be wives for his children. So he is still looking among local native people for wives for his son. And he finds one, he finds Tamar. So she's not part of the people of Israel because there hasn't been enough time for that to be established yet. She does become part of the family of Judah by being married in. And then she's treated appallingly badly. And we don't know really anything about Ur, her first husband, except that God felt that he was wicked. And it's interesting that under those circumstances, It's the person who is descended from Abraham that's the problem, not the person from the outside. So Tamar isn't the problem. Ur is. And then Onan is as well. It's probably fairly obvious from the text, but let's just make sure we're clear about this. At that point uh, in the history, if a man dies and his brother isn't married, the man's widow is then given to the second son or the third son, but the children continue the first son's line. His family gets extended because the wife is still involved. And so you get this situation where Onan is like, well, I don't really want Tamar to have my children because they won't be my children, they'll be Ur's children. So he doesn't want to do that. And he takes a very pragmatic and thoroughly biological approach in order to avoid that situation so two of judah's sons die tamar has been widowed twice she's from outside this family she's been brought in because judah wants to make sure that his descendants um, continue that the land that he is occupying is then filled with his descendants much as his father's land was filled with judah and his brothers but judah isn't very good at actually doing the honourable thing in this setting. So Judah, rather than saying, well, perhaps the problem was that my sons made bad choices. Instead of doing that, he's just worried that every person who marries Tamar seems to die. And he doesn't talk to her about it, and he doesn't keep his promise to her either. He treats her like an outsider rather than as family. And so as a widow, Tamar is then dependent on the families around her the community around her for her safety Judah is effectively the man who is responsible for her care he has a responsibility to her actually on two levels one to look after her because she's part of his household and two to fulfill the promise he made so she's an outsider is Tamar and she's suffering as a victim and she's suffering as a victim because Both of her husbands have sinned, but she is the victim because they did wrong. She's also the victim because Judah has done wrong. And you might say, does this tell us something about the people of God, people of Israel, about how how we might expect to see them continue? Perhaps it does. Perhaps what we come to learn is that Israel will always be tempted. Judah will always be tempted to behave badly, and to blame the outsider when things go wrong. Perhaps that's just a trait of humanity. It does seem very sad, and Tamar comes to represent, I guess, what we might think of as a migrant. Somebody who comes into a place, or or gets grafted in to belong to a community, but then is blamed for the problems, and is then shunned. And kept separate. It doesn't seem very fair. But here is the point that Matthew is making about Tamar in his genealogy. If Jesus is going to be faithful to his descendants, to his lineage, he is going to be someone who is faithful to those who are on the outside, who are on the margins, who are suffering because of the poor behavior of the chosen people. That Jesus isn't just there for the people of Israel, he's there for those who suffer when the people of Israel make bad choices. Now at this point we need to start thinking, how does this apply to us? What's what's the application for the people of God today? It's true, we're not Judah. Our situation is different and the New Testament will go on at length to talk about um, how God has chosen to work in a different way by grafting in those who aren't people of Israel, who aren't the Jews, in order to um, bring them into his family, but that is something we're going to see happening in the New Testament. Then the question comes, how do those who follow Jesus then behave towards those who are on the outside? Perhaps we might say this, it becomes crucial. That those who say they follow God start being very visibly those who favour those who suffer injustice, who favour those who are on the margins, who favour those who are the unintended victims. We are those who make sure that promises get kept to those who are vulnerable. Tamar represents all these things. I think we also need to pick up that Tamar is willing, and maybe this is something we might pick up from her. Tamar is willing to go an awfully long way to see that justice happens. Now, in this case, it's justice for her, but maybe for us, when you think about how we stand for people suffering injustice. Tamar was willing to change her clothes, to travel, to take big risks, in order to make sure her point got heard by the man who most recently was treating her badly, she went to extreme measures to be heard. This foreigner became a risk taker, and this foreign risk taker became a prostitute. This foreign risk taker prostitute who was a nobody and who God chooses to include in his backstory as he comes in the person of Jesus. A nobody, a foreigner, a victim, a risk taker. That is the kind of person that Jesus comes to share the good news with. And as you work through Matthew, I'm sure I'll be saying this again as we go through this passage, as we go through Matthew we see that Jesus' target, person who Jesus is as he talks to those who need love, who need grace, who need acceptance. The people who get targeted by Jesus, sort of pointed at to be told off and, and rebuked. They are the ones who are on the inside. They are the ones who know how it's supposed to be done. They're the ones who already are safe with God. Jesus came to look after the ones who aren't that. And when he found the ones who were, he was quick to say, you've got to do better. You should be the ones looking out for these victims. You should be the ones making sure justice happens. You should be the ones making sure that when there is the opportunity for people to become part of the family of God, that you help them to be there. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, as we prepare for celebrating Christmas, we thank you that you chose people to be part of your heritage who don't fit. You chose victims to be part of your heritage. You chose those who were treated unjustly so that you might identify with them and so that we might see that they are your priority. Help us not to be distracted into becoming Insiders who can't see the margins. Help us to be those who go out of our way to bring others in and make a space for them that makes it easy for them to know you. Amen. Okay, here are three questions. Question number one. Who do you know who is a bit on the margin? Who's a bit out there? Who perhaps is struggling because they aren't included, maybe because they aren't trusted, maybe because they're being blamed for something that isn't actually their fault. Who do you know? Think of a name or perhaps a group of people who you can think of who fit that description. Question two. Tamar took big risks in order to see justice done, but also so that she might have the place In the family that she'd been promised. What risks are you willing to take? What risks are you willing to to enter into? What steps can you take on your journey with Jesus that might be risky but might take you to where He is ready to welcome you? Question three. Imagine there's somebody who is on the fringes, on the margins of church life. Tamar had to work ever so hard to get into that family and stay there. Nobody was helping her. She needed to fight for it herself. Do you think that people who are on the margins of church should have to fight that hard to be part of the church? And if you don't think they should, what are you doing to make it easier for them? That's it for me for this time. We're going to be looking at two people next time around and carry on our journey through Matthew chapter one. Let's pray one last time. Father God, we want to be faithful to you and to Jesus. Help us to see where you're pointing us to, the people who you want us to reach. Help us to find ways to bring them into the family. Amen. Take care, God bless. I'll see you soon.